What's going on, y'all? How y'all doing? This is Jared from the Langulas Podcast, giving what you need news and views. Today on the show, I want to introduce Miss Kimberly Novad. Welcome to the show, ma'am. Hey, Jared. How's it going? Hey, everybody. Good, 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 good. Um, so she is the founder and the executive director of Saul's Life Foundation. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that. What made her get into it, what made it all started. So um Please tell the people a little bit about yourself now. Yeah, absolutely. So I um, always tell people that, you know, all of the things that I've done from my education to my experiences have sort of led me to this place where I am uh, today as the founder and executive director of this organization. So everything that I've done since college from um, undergrad going to Xavier, I got my bachelor's there. Then I got my master's at Troy University. Um, and then I did a lot of community work. I did a lot of health work and organizing, um, even spent uh, a few years marketing and then spent the bulk of uh, what I call my first career as a secondary high school teacher. Um, and I think that each one of those steps have prepared me for the role that I'm in right now. Um, which is the founder and executive director of Saul's Light. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, me and uh, Kimberly, we go way, way back. I, I mean, I, I'm ashamed to say how long we go back because that's it's a long, long time ago. I mean, <laughs> if, if you think about it, it's a, <laughs> yeah. So I ain't even gonna bring how many years ago. Don't do it. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, please tell the people, what made you want to start Saul's Life Foundation? Yeah. So I um, started this organization in 2015. And that was a year after my son Saul was born um, and unfortunately passed away. He was born prematurely and he spent um, some time in the neonatal ICU at Children's Hospital. Um, up until that time, I was a high school teacher and, you know, I thought that I would be a teacher. I thought I would retire from that job. Um, but then having gone through the experience of having him and going through the experience um, of the NICU and then ultimately losing him was sort of a, a like catalyst for change in my life. Um, and so I think probably most bereaved parents, right, most people that that lose a child will tell you um, it irrevocably changes you and you are never the same. Um, and so then you have to figure out what to do with your new normal and what is the new normal, what that looks like. Um, and so for me, it was taking a deep dive into um, number one, my experience, my journey um, to figure out how did I end up in this place? You know, how, how did I, as a person who, um, you know, would describe myself as a person who like did all the right things or made all the right preparations. How does that person end up with um, a premature baby who dies? Um, and so, you know, for me, I thought that was an anomaly. I thought like this is something really terrible that happened to me and it's a very rare thing. And like that's how heavy that burden was. Um, but the more and more that I learned about maternal child health and the more and more I learned mm -hmm. about what was going on in the local community in New Orleans, I realized that like premature birth was like 
a normal thing. People were having premature babies every day. Um, and unfortunately, infant loss was sort of a normal experience for people in the New Orleans community as well. Um, and when I found that out, that was very upsetting to me. In fact, I describe it as just being like mad as hell. Like, how, how is this happening? How have we normalized this experience as a part of what we think birth is? Um, and so for me, you know, then the next question became, what can I do to help? What can I do to change things? What can I do to make people's experiences better? People that have had similar experiences like me. So in particular, um, the NICU journey and also then, um, you know, the grief and bereavement journey. How can I help to make these experiences better for the people in my community that are ultimately going to experience it, statistics being what they are, right? A lot of people, a lot more people since then um, have experienced premature birth and infant loss and will continue to experience it because that's just where we are when it comes to like health disparities in our community. Okay, very, <clears throat> okay. That was uh, very interesting. I'm sorry to hear about your late son. Um, that's that's that. crazy. Um, so you took, some tragedy and use the motivation to start a whole new foundation to give uh, more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? More help to individuals in the same situation. That's great. Mm -hmm. um, so you start this foundation. So how do you start, um, I guess, start getting organizational help? How you can start getting your name out there? How do you run a nonprofit organization such as Salt Light Foundation? Yeah, that is a great question. Um, <laughs> And <laughs> I'm going to tell you why, uh, because I tell everybody that um, I am like, this is like baptism by fire for me. I, this is not my comfort zone. I, I have been away, turned it, turned it into that because I feel like I dove head first and also because I had no choice. Um, I feel like my path and my steps were sort of chosen for me or directed, if you will. And so I'm a vessel. I was a vessel for my son, right? To bring him here, to get him here. And so I think I'm a vessel for this mission um, and to do this work. And so, you know, what that looked like for me was like being a student, being a student of life, learning all the things that I could learn, like taking the classes, signing up for classes, um, reading books, doing a lot of research on the internet, um, talking with people who, had uh, started organizations and then looking at a lot of other organizations that were doing similar work that I wanted to do um, or just work in the maternal child health field. Um, and I sort of feel like those organizations and those people gave me the blueprint of, of like what to do, what not to do, and what are the things that are helpful, right? How to actually start it. Um, and so for me, that began by, um, advocacy, using my voice to speak up. So, you know, being a part of the Maternal Child Health Coalition, um, which is a local, you know, organization of community partners that are vested in maternal child health. Um, they were having a presentation before the city council and, um, you know, they asked me to speak. And I was really very nervous about that. It was my first time speaking publicly about my son's life, which every time that I do, um, I get, 
I get overwhelmed. I never get used to it. Um, you know, it, every time I just talk about that time period, it just takes my breath away because I'm still sort of really in this like disbelief that it happened. Um, and so, you know, that was overwhelming. But that's when I learned uh, that there was power in my voice and I learned that there was power in my experience. Um, and so I just kept going to the maternal child health coalitions. And then whenever they were like, we need this person to speak, we need like, can you say something? Um, I said, yes. And I was nervous and I was overwhelmed and, you know, like my heart is beating out of my chest. All of those things happen every single time. Um, but I did it because I knew that I had a goal in mind. I knew that, um, you know, there was a reason that that I'm that I'm here now um, that, you know, number one, I survived child loss. And so I felt like it was up to me to decide, like, what to do with that. How do I find meaning? And so for me, advocacy was the first step um, and, and using my voice to talk about my experience. And then from there, I really just started like building out ideas and programs that that I knew based on my journey, like what what were the things that I would have wanted as a NICU parent, as a bereaved parent? What are some of the things that I know that other people would have wanted or needed as a, a NICU or bereaved parent? And so then I just got to work to be able to like make those things happen, to talk about like, what does this program look like? What do people get from it? What are the results that I expect to happen? Um, you know, what do I want my impact to be? How do I want people to feel when they walk away from that? Um, and so it took a lot of, again, reading, studying, um, talking to people, taking people's advice, being mentored by people, um, and then just learning like what my gift was and what did I have to, to bring to the table. All right, that was a good answer. <laughs> that was a good answer. <laughs> okay, all right. So you go out and you start this organization. You're doing a lot of research. I respect that. A lot of people don't do research. Some people just, like you say, go ahead first. Don't uh, do it. Don't do it. <laughs> hey, but. Hey, but if you do it, I mean, some people don't even take the first step. Some people just scared to even put themselves out there. So yeah. if you yeah. go out there here first, hey, at least you take a chance. Um, yes. So <laughs> let's talk about your, so you begin the foundation. How do you get your name out there? Like, how do you promote yourself? How do you get involved? Like, how do you impact the community? Yeah, I think that probably the, the best way to get involved, like, right, we are in the digital age or technological age like I think now if people want to like get their name out there and it's even still something that I struggle with right continuing to like push the mission and so that people become familiar with Salzite and and knows about the mission of Salzite I think the biggest thing is having an online presence um, I think that social media is huge right now and I think that any organization um, that is trying to build a base of support and that is trying to build a base of awareness, um, a base of donors, a base of funders, you know, people that are going to support and encourage the mission. I think you have to have an online presence. 
Um, and so, you know, even if you just got a WordPad website, right? You gotta have a website. You got people have to be able to, to look you up and find you online. Um, and then with social media, you have to be able to use social media to, to tell your story. And I think like Instagram is a great platform for that, you know, like putting out pictures of what you're doing, the things that you're doing in the community. So if you're speaking before city council, then putting pictures or putting video um, of that or getting like a Twitter, right? And then um, commenting. Don't forget, about Don't forget about your TikTok videos. Yeah, oh my gosh. Let me, <laughs> let me tell you, I, I love TikTok. I love it. And I, if it were up to me, I would have shares in the company, but I found out it's still a private company. They have not gone public. That's how much I love TikTok. Um, but, you know, since, since we're not going to talk about how far back we go or how old I am, right, right, I'm just right. going to say that TikTok is not easy for me. I don't really know how it works. And I have made a few TikTok videos and that's because they are all one take. There's no editing involved. There's there's none of that. Um, and, you know, but TikTok is fun. And I think that a lot of like young people are on TikTok and, and that's, that's what's exciting right now, right? And so I think that, you know, you don't have to spend all your time on social media. You don't have to spend all your time on TikTok, but you do have to know how to reach your audience. And it seems to me that people really like TikTok and they like the reels and people are responding to that. Um, and so when you're running a nonprofit, it's important to be able to like one, push that mission, but number two, fundraise. And so if people are seeing your message and they're getting information or they're seeing the work that you're doing and they think that you're making, you're making a difference, they're going to invest in your mission. And an investment in your mission looks like a donation. Um, and they're more likely to do that if they get a positive sense of um, who you are and the work that you're doing. So, you know, TikTok for me is just like a, I don't know, a fun way to look at serious topics, right? Because the NICU journey the bereavement and grief journeys, those are serious topics, um, but they don't always have to be like, um, you know, a Debbie Downer situation. You can, you can poke fun at it. You can have laugh at it. You can have a good time and you can use um, those platforms to really like tackle serious, um, serious issues, which is what I hope I'm doing. I hope y'all not laughing at me on TikTok. Yo, I ain't gonna lie. It's a, on TikTok. TikTok videos are funny. TikTok videos are funny. I ain't gonna lie. They, they, they don't but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> they are funny. Um, so, <laughs> so, uh, run, <laughs> Uh, if, if y'all don't, y'all need to go follow, uh, follow Kimberly at, uh, Saul underscore like. On all social media, especially TikTok, because the videos on TikTok are kind of are real fun. Um, tomorrow, I'm gonna have a new one tomorrow. Okay, okay, yeah, because they they're real funny. I ain't gonna lie, they're real funny. Uh, you can lose my train of thought. Because um, <laughs> I remember the video that I was looking at. They funny. Um, so, all right. So, tell me how is it? Because um, when you create a nonprofit organization. 
Um, how do you create one? I know you got to go register with the state of Louisiana and do all yes. that stuff. How, how do you create it? Because you have there's a process and you got to have a board. You want to elaborate about that? Oh, yes, absolutely. So, you know, the first thing that you have to do is, like you said, register with the state and get those articles of incorporation. And that's just like the state checking you out, making sure that you are the person that you say you are and that you're going to do the thing that you um, say that you're going to do. Right. And so they will give you the articles of incorporation, which is very important because that is how you um, apply for everything else. Right. Your nonprofit status, um, that EIN number that you're going to need for funding um, and things like that. I think that after like getting your thing straight legally is probably the most important thing that all nonprofit founders should do, um, because there are going there are going to be a lot of opportunities, whether it's um, funding from like major corporations or company or individual donors. People are going to want to know that you have that legal status. And not only that, it'll make people more likely to give to your mission. Um, because if you're a tax exempt admission um, uh, organization, they can then claim that donation on their taxes. Um, and that's really important for the people that want to give at any level, but especially really big donors. They want to be able to, you know, have that sort of tax benefit. Um, so that's very important to get your stuff straight legally. Um, but I think, too, the next big thing that you have to do is create a board of directors. And I cannot underestimate um, the importance of your board of directors. I can't like it. It is good like that family and your friends supporting you, but those are not the people that you need on your board of directors. Maybe one or two of them, but do not fill your board of directors with your friends and family. Wow. Um, wow. It's been it's been my experience that the lines, uh, like the lines, can be blurred and can lead to like disappointment or resentment. And so I think that the people that know us best, even though they support us, might not necessarily be um, the best people who can propel your organization forward because you need people that are going to challenge you. You need people that are going to question you. You need people that are going to bring other ideas to the table Whereas I feel like those people that are super close to you are just going to be like, yes, people, you know, whatever you say, or whatever you do, they're just going to say, yes, that's great. Do it. Whereas somebody else might say, OK, is this good for the organization? Is this good for the community? Um, and then, you know, second to that are creating the bylaws, which is um, the rules essentially for how your nonprofit is supposed to be run. Um, and then, you know, coming up with things like, you know, in the event of this, then this, right? So it, it outlines everything for the roles of the board members, but also the rules of the organiza organization, the way that it's um, supposed to be run. And I think too, it's super important that if you can afford it to get a lawyer or to get an accountant. Um, and, and one thing that I didn't know that I found out is that many of the like law firms and accounting firms will have a certain amount of hours every year that they dedicate to pro bono work. So mm, yeah. you, know, you can form community partnerships with you know, a huge corporate law for, firm downtown that will you know handle these legalities for you 
for free because it's a part of their pro bono work. Um, same thing for accountants, you know, they might give you a certain amount of hours to make sure like your books are straight or that you're using QuickBooks correctly and that you're in good financial standing um, because you need to be in good financial standing annually for your nonprofit in order to keep being, um, you know, renewed or um, determined to be a nonprofit in good standing, you know, with no complaints um, or no issues with your taxes and things like that. Okay. Right, that's, a lot, that's a lot of good gems right there. I didn't even I didn't even know that. Um, so let's go back into because um, a lot of people donate, but people don't realize they can uh, write those off, put those tax donations off. Yeah. So, so you want to talk about how donations or tax write-offs and how it can benefit people donating um, money to your organization or any nonprofit organization? Yeah. So I think right. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I think there is a, it's sort of loaded, right? I think that people give because they want to. And I think that people also give because they want to be rewarded, which I think is fine. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that sometimes people may have um, a, a lot of maybe, I don't know. Um, I'm going to say it like this. Nonprofits are not like the answer to everything that is wrong, right? I think that people expect nonprofits to um, to run on a nonprofit budget. They don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? They don't. They don't. Exactly. Yeah. I, I understand. I understand. Yes, I understand. Yes. And so, like, number one, just even the fact that, like, we separate nonprofits from business, right? Nonprofit or profit. Because let me tell you what I learned the hard way that a nonprofit organization is a business. Okay. Not different. Um, and so, because it is a business, it has to run like a business. You have to run it like a business. And you need employees and you need to pay people and you need to, you know, have to have money and, um, you know, finances. You have to have those things straight. And like maybe when you start, for example, you might be working for free, um, but that's not sustainable. And if you're not working for free and you're not like paying yourself and you're not paying other people like there are no employees. People are not going to invest in that organization. They're not going to see that as a sustainable organization. Um, so that being said, I think it's important that people understand that while your your donation helps and is helpful to a nonprofit, um, nonprofits still have to be run like businesses. And yes, they're they're making a difference in the community, but they're not the answer to to changing or solving all of the crisis in communities. Um, I think that like one of the things that we do really well and a lot of nonprofits do frankly is advocate, right? We have to advocate that our government is working the way that it's supposed to um, so that that heavy lift is not on like private individuals to create organizations to solve this thing. Um, and so, you know, again, with all that said, because I feel like I'm I'm just now just talking in circles, but no, um, that, that, what you said is correct. That is that, that's a very true statement. A lot of people do believe that nonprofits <laughs> run on nonprofit, like they're not supposed to make money, but they need, yes. they need to operate. Yes. 
right? A, a lot of people do believe that. Yes, and you have to, right? Especially if you want to be around in the long run and you want to make a difference, right? Because for me, like, Saul's Life makes a big difference in our community. And my, my like, worst nightmare would be, like, if something happened to me and then our work stopped. Okay. And there's, like, nobody else, right? So what I had to learn the hard way is that, like, I, I worked for free. Nobody else is going to work for free. Nobody else is going to be the executive director for free. And then you can go to any other, you know, like major nonprofit that's here in the city. Um, I, I don't know. They fail me. United Way, Covenant son House. Yes, yeah, son of a saint. Those people are not working for free. Those are, that's <laughs> their careers, you know, like their yeah. careers and they have a skill set. Um, and they deserve to be paid for their skill set and their expertise. And that's why those nonprofits are successful, right? right. So it also, too, depends on like, what do you want to do? Are you running your nonprofit as a hobby on the side? And that's not a big deal, but. What's up, y'all? This is Jerry, your host from the Lanyon Legends podcast, giving you what you need in news and interviews. Hope you're enjoying the show. Make sure you take time to follow, like, and share us on all social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, anyone you think of, we are on it. Make sure you subscribe to us on our audio podcast platforms as well, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or any other your podcast and platform needs that you utilize. Hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Peace. I think um, what I what I didn't consider, and I think what people who want to start nonprofits should consider, is what direction are they going in? Are they looking at this nonprofit organization to be their career and be their job? Um, if so, you gotta be business minded. Okay. And you have to know that eventually you're gonna have to have an employee or two. You're gonna have to pay yourself. Um, and then also, you know, I just feel like it could get into so many other issues, too, because I feel like in general, people don't value women's work. People don't value black women's work. Right. And so they just expect us to, like, be the workhorse of movements and change and all the things. Um, but we shouldn't be able to, like, feed our kids. Right. You that know, was, that was that was that was some great, great statements because. I, like people don't even realize that the NFL is a nonprofit organization. People don't realize that. Um, there's some other organizations I can't even think of them right now. But and nobody's working in the NFL for free. Exactly, exactly, exactly. I believe the CEO of the NFL gets several million dollars a year. Yes. Um, but they don't they don't treat the NFL as a nonprofit organization. Um, so that was some great stuff that you just elaborated on. So. Uh, you said something I want to talk about. You were talking about all the software and stuff, social media, um, QuickBooks. How, what did you do during, how did, well, let me ask this question first. What type of software do you utilize to assist you on a day-to-day basis with your nonprofit organization? Um, hmm. All the ones you just named, right? Yeah, well, social media, we already talked about right. this, so don't worry but, about um, it. Like, since the pandemic, I've ha- I've leaned a lot on Zoom, um, 
which is something that I never, I never thought I would do. In fact, before the pandemic, I had the free Zoom account that would like shut you off after 40 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I didn't know, I didn't never, I never heard of Zoom until the pandemic. Yes, yes. So I was like, you know, I'd, I'd be the one that would be at the end of the meeting, like, hurry up and call me back. You know, like, hurry up and get on the so, so, um, so I, I realized again, right, this goes back into like investing and also like how to use your resources wisely. I learned very fast that um, Zoom or something like Zoom, right, because it doesn't have to be Zoom, but some sort of communication program or software is um, a valuable investment. Um, and so our um, Light we pride ourselves on like, you know, one-to-one peer support and making individual connections um, and really like being in, in, in a holding space for people that are going through traumatic birth journeys. Um, but the pandemic made that almost like not possible, right? It made it almost impossible. And so what Zoom allowed us to do was to, to change that. So we could have Zoom meetings so that could be everything from our board meetings that went from being in person to being on Zoom, um, to support group meetings that went from being on person uh, in person to being on Zoom, um, and now you know virtual panels. So just being a part of community um, events that used to be in person, we're now you know doing those on Zoom. So we're doing panels, we're doing discussions, we're doing whole conferences um, on Zoom, and you know like other relative um, platforms. And so technology is one thing that I, I'm not, a, I'm not good at. Um, and it's something that I recognize that is so necessary and vital to the running of an organization that you either have to like avail yourself of these platforms and these skills, or you have to have hire people or have people on your team who know how to use it right i i absolutely hate quickbooks i hate it but quickbooks is so necessary to the running of our organization it's how we keep track of finances is how we pay our contract employees it's how we track our spending um our expenses you know money coming in money going out um and I, I remember the first time I, I like went to um, this sort of like class on QuickBooks. I, I I left there in tears. I was like, I cannot do this. There is, <laughs> there is a reason I did not major in math. There is a reason I did not major in you know information systems, what have you. Um, but again. You know, too, this this comes back to like the other things we were talking about, like having a strong board, right? So I, I have to have like a strong board person who is going to be able to do that if that's not in my wheelhouse. I have to have a good accountant who is going to be able to do that if that's not my strength. I have to be able to consult with a lawyer, you know, when it comes time to, because that's not my background. Um, so I think people have to be willing to learn new things and then surround themselves with like capable people, right? The whole the whole um, thing about a president and his cabinet, right? The president doesn't know everything, but the people in his cabinet do. And so 
hopefully that makes for a successful administration, right? And it, it's the same here in this nonprofit. Hopefully that makes for a, a successful um, organization. Okay. So um, you have several board members on your for your organization, and how do you go about selecting people that you want on your board? Yeah, I think um, you know you have to be decisive i think you have to have an eye and an ear on the community and recognizing really what people bring to the table and also recognizing what people's strengths are right because some people might want to be involved in your organization but don't have time so their support might look like financial support um or someone might have a lot of time but not a lot of money and so then you might decide what to do with this person? Is this person going to be on the board of directors? Is this person going to be a part of community outreach? Um, I think when it comes to selecting board members, it's really very important that you find people who believe in your mission, who really believe in your work and think that, um, that it's important and who are willing to go out and spread the gospel of your organization. So this like has to be a person that is dropping hints of your organization in every conversation that they are, that are making connections for you, that are networking for you, that are bringing your name to rooms that you're not present in, but they are. Um, and, and I think the second thing that's most important is fundraising. You have to be willing to fundraise um, and so, you know, some organizations have separate fundraising boards because when it involves money, it can be really sticky, a really sticky situation. A lot of people don't feel comfortable asking people for money, um, which, you know, if you're going to be a nonprofit industry, you got to get <laughs> You gotta get comfortable asking people. You got eggs. You got eggs. You got eggs. You will not survive if you are not comfortable asking people for money. Um, and I, I'm, I'm sort of okay. I'm getting better with it all the time. Um, but for me, that, that was hard um, because you know I was like a person that was raised to like be independent and not ask people for anything to just do it yourself and figure it out, right? Um, but the key word, I feel like I said before, is sustainability. That's, it's a concept that as a nonprofit leader, as a business leader, you have to become familiar with and figure out like what that means. And so because I'm an independent person and sort of an introvert and not really the person, you know, that is, that is gonna walk up to people and ask for money, that organization is not gonna work long-term. That's not gonna work. You have to get out of your box. You have to go and talk to people. You have to network. You have to ask for money. Um, and I think too, you know, something else that really helped me to understand how, how a nonprofit organization should be run, whether it's the administration of the, organiz the organization or the programs or the volunteer or fundraising and all that was that I was in um, an accelerator program at Propeller. So Propeller is a local organization that um, focuses on like five areas of like well-being. So it could be like health, it could be water, it could be food. Um, but these are like just all sort of pockets of influence that are trying to make New Orleans a better place. And so what they do is work with business owners and nonprofit executives to be more efficient in 
you know, whatever their business is um, to, to make sure that their mission is equitable, which I love. I think that's very important because, you know, in New Orleans, we, sh we should always be thinking about equity and about access and, you know, what that looks like for our community, the black community and people um, that are, you know, might not be high up on the socioeconomic level because that's a reality for us, right? Um, and so I think that Propeller and other other organizations like that, you know, so there's like Camelback um, Ventures, for example. There's like, um, you know, all these fellowships like Kellogg or the High Fellowship was that I was a part of. I think that applying to programs like that and learning from people that are like business mentors and people that have expertise and skills and networks um, that will, you know, help you to like expand your scope of knowledge, help you to expand who you know, and help you to expand your idea of what fundraising looks like, what asking for money looks like, what makes a good board member, how to run a board meeting. Um, I think that you know, organizations like that are worth their weight in gold. And I think for me, it really changed, it really changed my life. I went from running Saul's Light as a like mom and pop hobby on the side while teaching high school to um, being able to like do this work and be a full-time employee of Saul's Light and being able to have other employees that are, you know, working with me. I don't say working for me because I think it's teamwork and I believe in community, um, but working with me to sort of push this mission of equitable access to peer support, to financial assistance, um, to, you know, early literacy. I think I learned all that from those sort of programs. And I think that's, that's really probably the key to starting something and being successful at it, is like okay. knowing where to go to learn the things and who to ask for the information. Okay. All right. So that, that's, that's a perfect segue to my next question. Um, do in your field, since you're an um, ex executive director of a nonprofit organization, do you feel that it is necessary to get some type of certification or get a degree? I think um, what I what I didn't consider, and I think what people who want to start nonprofits should consider, is what direction are they going in? Are they looking at this nonprofit organization to be their career and be their job? Um, if so, you gotta be business minded. Okay. And you have to know that eventually you're gonna have to have an employee or two. You're gonna have to pay yourself. Um, and then also, you know, I just feel like it could get into so many other issues, too, because I feel like in general, people don't value women's work. People don't value black women's work. Right. And so they just expect us to, like, be the workhorse of movements and change and all the things. Um, but we shouldn't be able to, like, feed our kids. Right. You that know, was, that was that was that was some great, great statements because. I, like people don't even realize that the NFL is a nonprofit organization. People don't realize that. Um, there's some other organizations I can't even think of them right now. But and nobody's working in the NFL for free. Exactly, exactly, exactly. I believe the CEO of the NFL gets several million dollars a year. Yes. Um, 
but they don't they don't treat the NFL as a nonprofit organization. Um, so that was some great stuff that you just elaborated on. So uh, you said something I want to talk about. You were talking about all the software and stuff, social media, um, QuickBooks. How, what did you do during, how did, well, let me ask this question first. What type of software do you utilize to assist you on a day-to-day basis with your nonprofit mm-hmm. Um, hmm. All the ones you just named, right? Yeah, well, social media, we uh, are talking about right. this, so don't worry but, about um, Like, since the pandemic, I've, ha- I've leaned a lot on Zoom. Um, which is something that I never, I never thought I would do. In fact, before the pandemic, I had the free Zoom account that would like shut you off after forty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I didn't know. I didn't never. I never heard of Zoom until the pandemic. Yes. Yes. So I was like, you know, I'd, I'd be the one that would be at the end of the meeting, like, hurry up and call me back. You know, like, hurry up and get on the phone. So. Um, so I, I realized again, right. This goes back into like investing and also like how to use your resources wisely. I learned very fast that, um, zoom or something like zoom, right? Cause it doesn't have to be zoom, but some sort of communication program or software is, um, a valuable investment. Um, and so our, um, Light, we pride ourselves on like, you know, one-to-one peer support and making individual connections, um, and really like being in, in, in a holding space for people that are going through traumatic birth journeys. Um, but the pandemic made that almost like not possible, right? It made it almost impossible. And so what Zoom allowed us to do was to to change that so we could have Zoom meetings. So that could be everything from our board meetings that went from being in person to being on Zoom, um, to support group meetings that went from being on person uh, in person to being on Zoom. Um, and now, you know, virtual panels. So just being a part of community um, events that used to be in person, we're now, you know, doing those on Zoom. So we're doing panels, we're doing discussions, we're doing whole conferences um, on Zoom and, you know, like other relative um, platforms. And so technology is one thing that I, I'm not, a, I'm not good at. Um, and it's something that I recognize that is so necessary and vital to the running of an organization that you either have to like avail yourself of these platforms and these skills, or you have to hire people or have people on your team who know how to use it, right? I I absolutely hate QuickBooks, I hate it. But QuickBooks is so necessary to the running of our organization. It's how we keep track of finances, is how we pay our contract employees. It's how we track our spending. Um, our expenses, you know, money coming in, money going out. Um, and I, I remember the first time I, I like went to um, this sort of like class on QuickBooks. I, I I left there in tears. I was like, I cannot do this. There is, <laughs> there is a reason I did not major in math. There is a reason I did not major in, you know, information systems, what have you. Um, but again, 
you know, too, this this comes back to like the other things we were talking about, like having a strong board, right? So I, I have to have like a strong board person who is going to be able to do that if that's not in my wheelhouse. I have to have a good accountant who is going to be able to do that if that's not my strength. I have to be able to consult with a lawyer, you know, when it comes time to, because that's not my background. Um, so I think people have to be willing to learn new things and then surround themselves with like capable people, right? The whole, the whole um, thing about a president and his cabinet, right? The president doesn't know everything, but the people in his cabinet do. And so hopefully that makes for a successful administration, right? And it, it's the same here in this nonprofit. Hopefully that makes for a, a successful um, organization. Okay. So um, you have several board members on your uh, part of your organization. And how do you go about selecting people that you want on your board? Yeah, I think, um, you know, you have to be decisive. I think you have to have an eye and an ear on the community and recognizing really what people bring to the table and also recognizing what people's strengths are, right? Because some people might want to be involved in your organization, but don't have time. So their support might look like financial support um, or someone might have a lot of time, but not a lot of money. And so then you might decide what to do with this person. Is this person gonna be on the board of directors? Is this person gonna be a part of community outreach? Um, I think when it comes to selecting board members, it's really very important that you find people who believe in your mission, who really believe in your work and think that, um, that it's important and who are willing to go out and spread the gospel of your organization. So this like has to be a person that is dropping hints of your organization in every conversation that they are, that are making connections for you, that are networking for you, that are bringing your name to rooms that you're not present in, but they are. Um, and, and I think the second thing that's most important is fundraising. You have to be willing to fundraise. Um, and so, you know, some organizations have separate fundraising boards because when it involves money, it can be really sticky, a really sticky situation. A lot of people don't feel comfortable asking people for money, um, which, you know, if you're going to be a nonprofit industry, you got to get <laughs> You gotta get comfortable asking people. You got eggs. You got eggs. You, gotta you will eggs. not survive if you are not comfortable <laughs> asking people for money. Um, and I, I'm I'm sort of okay. I'm getting better with it all the time. Um, but for me, that that was hard um, because you know I was like a person that was raised to like be independent and not ask people for anything to just do it yourself and figure it out, right? Um, but the key word I feel like I said before is sustainability. That's it's a concept that as a nonprofit leader, as a business leader, you have to become familiar with and figure out like what that means. And so because I'm an independent person and sort of an introvert and not really the person, you know, that is that is going to walk up to people and ask for money, that organization is not going to work long term. That's not going to work. You have to get out of your box. You have to go and talk to people. You have to network. You have to ask for money. Um, and I think too, 
you know, something else that really helped me to understand how how a nonprofit organization should be run, whether it's the administration of the, organiz the organization or the programs or the volunteer or fundraising and all that was that I was in um, an accelerator program at Propeller. So Propeller is a local organization that um, focuses on like five areas of like well-being. So it could be like health, it could be water, it could be food. Um, but these are like just all sort of pockets of influence that are trying to make New Orleans a better place. And so what they do is work with business owners and nonprofit executives to be more efficient in you know whatever their business is um to to make sure that their mission is equitable which i love i think that's very important because you know in new orleans we sh we should always be thinking about equity and about access and you know what that looks like for our community the black community and people um that are you know might not be high up on the socioeconomic level because that's a reality for us right um and so i think that propeller and other other organizations like that, you know, so there's like Camelback um, Ventures, for example, there's like, um, you know, all these fellowships like Kellogg or the High Fellowship was that I was a part of. I think that applying to programs like that and learning from people that are like business mentors and people that have expertise and skills and networks um, that will, you know, help you to like expand your scope of knowledge help you to expand who you know and help you to expand your idea of what fundraising looks like what asking for money looks like what makes a good board member how to run a board meeting um i think that you know organizations like that are worth their weight in gold and i think for me it really changed it really changed my life i went from running saul's light as a like mom and pop hobby on the side while teaching high school to um, being able to like do this work and be a full-time employee of Saul's Light and being able to have other employees that are, you know, working with me. I don't say working for me because I think it's teamwork and I believe in community, um, but working with me to sort of push this mission of equitable access to peer support, to financial assistance, um, to you know early literacy. I think I learned all that from those sort of programs. And I think that's, that's really probably the key to starting something and being successful at it, is like okay. knowing where to go to learn the things and who to ask for the information. Okay. All right. So that, that's, that's a perfect segue to my next question. Um, do in your field, since you're an ex executive director of a nonprofit organization, do you feel that it is necessary to get some type of certification or get a degree? All right, you talked about the pitch, the pitch competition, right? You want five thousand dollars off that. So I only got a few more questions. Uh, so do you consider that that moment that you knew that Saul like foundation was going to be successful? Because everybody has that moment when, I, well, or they they strive for that moment when they think they're going to be a success. Yeah. Was that was that that moment for you, or was it something else? I think 
I think, yeah, I think for me, it was the moment that I saw that one, I could do this and two people will listen to me. That was an odd feeling, um, you know, because I taught high school and I still to this day think that high schoolers are your harshest critics. Oh yeah, they 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 inauthenticity. Yeah, you know, in they if if you're fake, they will get you, and if they don't trust you, they will get you. If if they don't like you, they will get you. They will there will be no learning, and so I realize. In, in that moment when I won the pitch competition, again, yes, that I can do this and that people will listen to me. And then I think, you know, which really for me was a success is that this is a compelling story. Like my story is a compelling story that can help other people. Um, and so for me, that was a hard thing to get used to because also I'm usually a very private person. Um, but, you know, when your life gets, you know, turned upside down, you have to find a new way to be. And and for me, that way to be um, was to be able to like set my free, set myself free from like the shame and guilt of that experience. And and then by sharing that experience to help other people and to like set them free, right? Because because I feel like prematurity. And in particular, child loss is is such a loaded experience for women. And, you know, we tend to blame ourselves for those experiences. And I think that, you know, one, women need not to do that. And two, people need to understand that what is happening in our community as it relates to prematurity and infant loss is a problem. It's systemic and it's not our fault. Um, and that, you know, there is something that we can do. And so my thing that I can do is to like share my story and to share my voice and to be an advocate for these experiences. And hopefully that's what pushes the needle to, you know, doctors and researchers and people that, that are really sort of making decisions. Maybe they'll remember this one time they, you know, heard that lady from Salzite speak and maybe they want to do something about it. All right. Okay, good, 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 good. All right, so what is the future you see for Saul's life? I think our future is is honestly advocacy, continuing to do the, the work that we've done. Um, you know, we, we support financially and emotionally um, hundreds of families every year through our partnerships with, you know, six hospitals in the New Orleans area. Um, per, you know, so providing financial support in the areas of transportation, lodging, meals, emergency bill payment assistance, one-on-one um, -on -one peer support for NICU families, bereaved families, um, our little library reading initiative, um, which donates a thousand books a year. So, you know, emphasizing the importance of early literacy for our children and for the, the future of their education, um, you know, focusing on um, at the local and state level, right? Working with lawmakers for, you know, for number one, we uh, got the city council to recognize September as NICU Awareness Month. And then we work with Representative Hilferty to get a new law established 
that will um, you know, set aside a tax credit for families of stillborn babies. Um, I think that, that that's our future. Our future is in advocacy and recognizing that um, you know, there are people in high places that can make those changes. Um, but they can't do that if they don't hear from us. Um, so, you know, I think that like getting more people involved in government, getting more people involved in the legislative process, whether that's testifying before the legislature or testifying before city council, um, you know, mobilizing people to use their lived experience, to elevate their voices, to center their journeys and using that to make the people in power listen and get them to make the changes, to invest in, you know, maternal child health care or um, mental health care, things like that. I think I think advocacy is the future. And and yeah, just, you know, again, I'll because I, I'm talking again, talking a lot. So I'll I'll just I'll I'll end it there. I think our future is in advocacy and um, being able to, you know, really make a difference not just on the local level, but on the state level. Okay. You weren't talking a lot. You was answering the question. You were giving out a lot oh, of okay. information. That was good. It's <laughs> <laughs> the whole point of the interview. Okay, <laughs> good. <laughs> uh, so so. We did, you know, we did a lot, but we're, we're just a small part of it. Okay. And so I hadn't even thought, like I feel like advocacy and like legislation, I hadn't even thought of it, right? And then we did it and we had like our our first legislative victory, which honestly, Jared, is huge. It blows my mind. I can't believe that we got a law passed on the first time, you know, that usually does not happen. What's the name of the law? Um, so it's just um, Act 467. I wish it was Saul's Light Law. but Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah right. That's uh, not yeah. Yeah. Um, But the governor <laughs> signed it into law, right? And... We were able to do that simply because women, mothers like me who had lost children, went to every meeting and told their story, you know? So our stories created a law to support all of the people that are coming after us. Um, so the law act 467 um, is a law that's going to start in January 2022. So when families have stillborn babies, so a baby that's born after 20 weeks gestation, um, but is born not alive, um, they will be eligible for an income tax credit that's $2,000. They can use that $2,000 to avail themselves of mental health counseling. Um, they can like pay for a funeral for their baby. They can pay the medical bills for their baby, you know, because there's something else people don't realize that just because your baby dies, you're still on the hook for the medical bills. They're gonna send them to your house in your baby's name, you know? Um, and so that law is gonna make a difference for how people experience grief. It's gonna make a difference for how they experience bereavement and how they move forward in their lives. And, and it's unheard of, you know, like our state never did anything like that. No state in the South ever did anything like that. Um, and we were in a financially conservative legislature. They, they did not want to pass any bills with fiscal notes. Um, but they listened to our moms. 
our moms poured their hearts out and talked about their children that died and how that affected them. And they said, this is not about money. This is not about dollars and cents. This is about heart and soul. We're going to pass this. And every step of the way, you know, when it was a bill, it passed and it passed and it passed. And we met a little opposition. Um, but then ultimately it went to the state Senate and it passed and the governor signed, signed it. And now, and now we're here. And so I think that we went from being sort of a, a pebble in the grand scheme of things and then into making those, you know, waves, those ripples. Right. And so I think that like all of us have that power, whether we start a nonprofit or not, all of us have that power and our elected representatives have to listen to us. They work for us. And so it's it's our responsibility to to raise our voices and and make the government be responsible for what the government is supposed to do. And they're supposed to take care of their people. Like I said, <laughs> one day you're gonna be up there running for a Senate, Senate position or a councilwoman. Something it's coming. I see. It. Not willing. I see it. God I, I, I mean you got a law pass. Some people you know got a law pass. <laughs> I know. Exactly. It blows my mind. It really blows my mind. <laughs> I I'm so I'm elated about it. I feel, I feel that my son didn't die in vain. I feel that their children didn't die in vain. And I feel more sure than I ever have in my whole life that like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm like right where I'm supposed to be. And, and that all things work for the good, you know? That's what's up. That's what's up. Okay. All right, man. That was great. I didn't even know about that. I didn't know about the pitch competition. I didn't know about the law passing. See? Even, even holding out on me. I showed you something. <laughs> 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 All right, hold on. I, I, what'd you say? Is it a question? Okay, okay. I think somebody else comment. Hold on. Oh, Mr. Mr. Rosier again said, I guess he was talking about a few minutes ago. Facts: Black wealth can only be taught by black passions. Never stop. All right, thank you, sir. All right. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Please let the people know where they can uh, donate. Uh, follow you on social media outlets. Hit them with everything. Uh, yes, I'm gonna give y'all. <laughs> I'm gonna give y'all everything I got. Give <laughs> Okay, so. Um, please, please, please follow us on social media. We are at Saul's underscore light. So at Saul's light on all social media. Um, you can donate on our website. It's saulslight.org, S-A-U-L-S-L-I-G-H-T.org. Um, please donate um, for Give Nola. Please donate for your birthday. Please donate for the holidays. We need your donations. Um, our mission is community. We are about creating comfort and community for NICU and bereaved families. And we can't do that without your support. So collectively, remember, we are the people that we have been waiting for. And it's important that people know that the people that are supporting them are their neighbors, are the people that they're seeing in the grocery store, are the people that they're seeing in the post office. 
um, you know, we're, we're, we're all we got. And so I am asking for your support at saulslight.org. Follow us again on social media. Um, and I would like to make myself available for anybody that's that's watching or listening and wants to start a nonprofit um, and wants to like have a thought partner or share their ideas or learn from my baptism by fire. You don't have to do that. <laughs> hopefully through that. So hopefully you don't have to go through that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm around. I'd be happy to talk with your idea. I'd be happy to share information and tell you about those leadership programs that really helped me. Okay. Most definitely. Most definitely. Um, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Um, what was that phrase you said? You need to, you need to uh, trademark that. What was that? If you could give you, if you, what was it? you could give it to God, you give it to therapist. Yes. You need to trademark. And give it to God and give it to a therapist. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. need trademark that. That should be on the shirt. Works for me. Works for me. All right. I want to thank you for coming on the show. Um, FYI to everybody. I've also, me and my wife have also donated to Saul's Life. Yes. Um, yes. So I know the founder. I trust the founder. So, of course, I'm going to donate to the organization. Um, Jared, thank you thank for coming you. on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate the information you dropped. Trust me. Um, make sure you go to saulslight.com. Go to all the social media outlets, Saul's underscore light. Um, make sure you follow us as well on our social media outlets. You already know it. It's on. It's been plastic throughout this entire episode. So uh, make sure you follow us. Make sure you follow Saul's Like. Um, you all have a good evening. Thank you for coming on the show. We out. Bye. Thank you. <laughs>